0: Well, today we are jumping back into the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verses fifty-five through sixty-six, and that's on pages on page uh, fifteen forty-nine of your pew Bibles. <laughs> Matthew twenty-seven, verses fifty-five through 66. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find that the curse of death has been removed from them by their Lord Jesus Christ. It was Benjamin Franklin who coined this phrase. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, I'm not so sure about the taxes, but he was pretty much on point when it came to death. In the year 2020 alone, there were roughly 59 million deaths worldwide. And that is approximately one death every two seconds. In fact, since I began giving you these stats, roughly 14 seconds have passed and seven more people have died. And as much as we'd like to avoid the topic, death is all around us. It has affected every soul in this room. And there will come a day, barring our Lord's return, when when death will come knocking on your door as well. But why? Why do we have to deal with this problem? Why is the end of life unavoidable? According to God's word, we have only ourselves to blame. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Because of our sins, we have incurred the the, the judgment of God. And this judgment is death. This is what he warned us about when he said these words. When you eat of it, you will surely die. Death is a curse from which we cannot hide. Consider what God said elsewhere a little later. Look at what he said to Adam and Eve after they had sinned. Look at at Genesis 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said... The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God's justice will stand. He will not allow sinful man to escape his punishment. And so death is inevit- inevitable, and it is this topic, this topic of death, that we must deal with in our scripture for today. Now, it's been roughly a month since we last looked at Matthew's gospel, and we're we're kind of jumping right back in, aren't we? But when we had left off, we had been going through these these last chapters, uh, looking what is essentially the the culmination of God's salvation. The very things that are necessary for God's redemptive plan. And thus far we, we have seen a number of different things, such as the necessity that it be God's will and not man's, in order for him to rescue those he loves. And we've also seen the necessity of a new covenant, as the old covenant was unable to save anyone. And then we saw that it was necessary for us to have a submissive Savior as Jesus yielded to his Father's will and was willing to drink the cup of his Father's wrath. And then we saw the necessity of a condemned Savior as Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and was found guilty of this charge, the charge of being the Christ, the Son of God. This then led to the stories of Peter and and Judas, each one who had betrayed their master and were feeling the enormous weight of their sins. And that is why it was necessary that we also have a forgiving Savior, one who can lift those burdens that each and every one of us have. And then we saw Jesus being rejected by his own people, even though Pilate had thoroughly demonstrated that Jesus was an innocent man. And yet it was necessary for Christ to be rejected in order that we as God's people can find acceptance with him. And then the last time we talked about this, we saw the necessity of a crucified Savior as Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve. For it was on that cross That the wrath of God was poured out upon him. He suffered and he died for our sins. Which leads us to today. Where we see another necessity in this redemptive work of our king. The necessity of a dead savior. Look at at verses 55 and 56 once more. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Josephs, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. We should remember these names because they are going to come up again and again. For what we have in these women are, are, are some of the eyewitnesses To this saving work of Jesus Christ. And right here they are the eyewitnesses to Jesus' death. These women who have traveled so often with our Lord in order to care for his needs. They were there once again caring for him. Only this time it was the needs of a dying man. But what could they do for him except to watch you see, these brave women, they, they, they witnessed Jesus' suffering to the very end. They saw him cry out as the as Roman soldiers pounded in the nails. They watched the blood slowly drain from his wounds. They witnessed him struggle to breathe as the as weight of his body was suffocating him. And then they heard him cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me? And finally, they saw him give up his spirit as he breathed his last. These courageous women, they were there to the bitter end. And now, Jesus, this one that they called Lord, he was now dead. Let's continue. Look at verses 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Often we come to a passage like this one, a couple short verses, and, and really think nothing of it. They, they just kind of fly under the radar. We, we read it, say, oh, that's interesting, and just move on to the next verses. You, you see, to us, it's just the author filling in some of the details without any real meaning behind it. And yet, if we take the time and look a little bit closer, what we will find is that those details can speak a great deal. They, they can give us meaning and clarity to, to all that God is doing. So the question is, what are the details in this passage? And why are they so important? First, we see that evening was approaching. That, that meant that the sun would soon set. And according to Jewish time, timekeeping, this meant that the day would be over and a new day begun. You see, we, in, in our Western system, we, we tend to think that a new day begins at midnight, right? But Not the Jews. No. For, for to them, a day ends and a new one begins with the setting of the sun. And yet that new day that was fast approaching was going to be the Sabbath. A day of rest. A day when nothing could be done, no work. What would that mean for the body of our Lord? You see, if anything was going to be accomplished, then this Joseph of Arimathea, he, he had to act now. For once the sun had set, once the Sabbath hit, there would be nothing that he could do. Time was running short. But who is this man? Who is this Joseph of of Arimathea. Unfortunately, we know very little about him. According to Matthew, he was a rich man. He was a disciple of Jesus and he was from Arimathea. We got 3 facts. That's pretty much it. If we look to some of the other gospels, Mark and John, they give us a few more details. Mark mentions that he was a member of the council or the or the Jewish Sanhedrin. And according to John, this man kept his loyalty to Jesus a secret because he feared the Jews. He was kind of like Nicodemus. He he was actually a friend of Nicodemus. Jewish members of the high council that did not want people knowing that they believed in this Jesus to be the Christ. So in other words, this, this Joseph, he was a prominent Jewish leader. He believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And yet because of his cowardice, he kept that belief a secret. But, but now what we read here is, is we see that this man's cowardice has suddenly turned into courage. As he asked Pilate for Jesus' body. You see, this this little act of kindness was a very dangerous thing to do. And it was dangerous for two reasons. One, asking a Roman governor for a dead criminal's body was not safe. Particularly if you were not a family member. For, For you would be tying yourself to this Jesus, to this convicted insurrectionist. Pilate could have very easily started questioning Joseph and accusing him of the same crime. Asking Pilate was dangerous. But there was another reason that that it was risky. For, For this act of bearing the body would have also unveiled Joseph's true colors to that Jewish council that he was a part of. You see, by taking this step, he could no longer hide from his colleagues where his loyalties lied. Once word got out, he would have been removed from the Sanhedrin and maybe even expelled from the synagogues. So yes, this this act of burying Jesus' body was extremely, extremely dangerous, and it would have cost this man greatly. And yet he chose to take that step of faith. Now, the Romans, they, they, they typically did not allow a man who had been convicted of treason and crucified to be given any type of proper burial. Instead, what, what, what their M.O. was, they, they, they would allow that corpse to rot on that cross until it just fell off on its own. And yet, because of Jewish custom... And the the belief that the Jews had that God would curse their land if any man was left hanging on a tree. The Romans did allow the removal of these bodies before sunset. That's why we see the two criminals that were next to Jesus had their legs broken. They they would have just left them sit there for days. But they broke the legs so that they would die swiftly and could be removed before sunset. But a proper burial, that was not going to be permitted. There, there, there would be no courtesy shown to any man who committed treason. And, and so the fact that that Pilate would, would give this body over speaks once again to Pilate's affirmation that Jesus was an innocent man. Look, look, at, look at the next two verses. Let's, let's see what Joseph did after he had permission. Look at verses 59 through 61. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Being a a rich man, this Joseph... He had a newly cut tomb. Now these tombs, are, they weren't what we think of today when we think of tombs or graves. For, for our common practice is to, is to dig a hole, right? And we, we put a body in a casket. We put the casket in the hole and then fill up the hole. But back then, tombs were more like Caves. They were hollows carved into the the face of the mountainous rock. And a rich man's tomb would have been a very, very large chamber. The opening to this chamber would have been very low to the ground, and only a man who who would be hunched over would, would be able to enter in. And there'd be these stone steps that would lead downward, opening up into that chamber. And there, off to one side, would have been a stone bench upon which the dead body would lay. And this body, it would have been wrapped in this white linen cloth, which would have been filled with roughly about 75 pounds of spices, both myrrh and aloe. These were the things that were necessary to help cover up the odor, the stench that would eventually come from a body that was decaying. The idea was that, that the, the body would rest on this bench until the only things left were the bones. And then later, at some some other date, off into the future, the bones would be gathered together, put in an ossuary box, and then would be stored away on a hewn shelf inside that tomb. But until that time, the, the, the body needed to be protected from both Animals and robbers. And that's why we see this big stone that was rolled into the front of the entrance. You see the, the, the doorway, it would have been covered by this large disc-shaped rock. And it would have been rolled into a, a slot, cut into the stone floor, sealing the tomb shut. And the slot, it would have been on this incline, making the grave very easy to close and extremely, extremely difficult to open. For once the door had been shut, it would typically take several men to remove that stone. But as we see from our text and as witnessed by both Mary Magdalene and this other Mary, Joseph, he sealed the body inside and went away. And so the body of our Lord lay in that tomb, lifeless and silent. No connection to the outside world, just the cold darkness of stone and still air. This curse that came from Adam and Eve, the curse of death, the judgment that falls upon sinful man, The judgment that's meant for each and every one of us had now fallen upon Jesus Christ. The one who who shouldn't die. The one who was innocent. Look at Isaiah 53 verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Here we see that Jesus, even though he was free from sin, would take on the fate of wicked man. He he would be buried just like the rest of us. He would lay lifeless just like everyone else throughout human history. And yet his burial would would not be one of a criminal. He would not be tossed in some garbage heap only to rot and to decay. God would not allow his suffering servant to be discarded with all the other criminals. No, he would lay in a rich man's tomb and be given a proper burial, identifying him as an innocent man wrongly condemned. This was just one more indicator that spoke to the injustice of those religious leaders. Those Pharisees and Sadducees. But how would those men react? What what would these members of the Jewish High Council do now that the man that they hated most was dead and buried? Let's see what happens next. Look at verses 62 through 64. This last deception will be worse than the first. Somehow, the words of Jesus given to his disciples had reached the ears of these Sadducees and these Pharisees. What Jesus had spoken to the twelve as they were nearing Jerusalem had now been passed on to these religious leaders. Perhaps it was Judas who told them these details. Maybe they heard it from some other source. Whatever the case these men knew that Jesus had been making this claim that after 3 days he would rise from the dead and this this fact troubled the powers that be you see even though he was dead they were st- they were still scared of this Jesus and yet because they were under pilate's jurisdiction they were under Control of the Roman government. They had to go to Pilate and plead for help. For according to Roman law, they didn't have the authority to take any kind of military action, even a lowly action such as setting a guard over a tomb. And so they once again needed Pilate's assistance. Now I imagine that Pilate took great joy in this, Seeing these men who had caused him so much trouble, now having to grovel before him. And what was their worry? That Jesus had claimed that he would rise from the dead. They feared that that the disciples of this man would come and steal his body away, making the claim that he had risen. And they believed that this would just cause more chaos. That it would deceive more of the Jewish people. And so they wanted the tomb to be guarded so that when such a claim was made, they could then bring the body forward and prove the falsehood. I think what I find most ironic about this passage is is how the fear of Jesus had not left these men even after he was dead. They were still afraid of him. And even though they had accomplished all that they had wished for, they had no peace. And notice too that they they didn't go to God with their troubles, but they went to Pilate. They went to the Roman governor thinking that he could somehow help them better than Yahweh. They remind me of the wicked kings of Israel of old who trusted in the foreign nations rather than in God. You see, their their actions alone should have told them that they were not on God's side. But they were on the side of the wicked. And yet they needed these Roman centurions in order to make the tomb secure. And that could only be provided through Pilate. What would Pilate do? Let's see how he responded. Look at our last two verses. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, putting a seal on the tomb and posting the guard. Pilate decided to go along with the requests of these men. Probably not because they had asked him to, but because he too didn't want to have to deal with any more mess, any more chaos. He he didn't need that in his life. And so he told them, Go take the guard, take some of my Roman soldiers, and make the tomb secure. And so what do they do? They put a seal on the tomb. And this seal it would it would indicate that it was now under Roman authority. And so you dare not touch it, lest you suffer the same fate as the man behind that stone. In essence, Jesus' body was untouchable. It was sealed. He was dead. So what is the purpose of all this? What, What do we see from this story? One, we we, we see that Jesus, He he, he died. He was physically dead as witnessed by these women. We see that He was buried, thanks to Joseph of Arimathea. And that, that that tomb was tightly sealed within because the religious leaders were still scared of Jesus. And so from the cross to the grave, Matthew has given us this detailed account of the death of our Lord. But why is this so important? Why do we care that Jesus was dead? Again, this goes back to the curse. What did God say when when, when Adam and Eve sinned? For when you eat of it, you will surely die. You see, death is our enemy and it is an enemy that 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 we have invited in and if jesus if he didn't die if he wasn't laid to rest in that tomb then the curse would still be upon us death would have its victory death would have its sting i mean this this is what we proclaim when we share the gospel It is a a crucial element that we confess as Christians. For if Jesus didn't die, then there is no good news. Think about Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Dear friends, these are things of first importance. And what does Paul include? That Christ died. That he was buried. He was in the ground and his body no longer functioned. You see... Jesus had to be truly dead in order to defeat death for us. For you can't get to the resurrection without it. You can't get to Easter morning without a dead Savior. Jesus needed to be dead in order that our curse could be lifted so that the words that we read earlier in Revelation 22 can be true. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And ever. What is described here is Eden opened up once again. This is why we see the tree of life bearing crops for the people. No longer are we barred from its from fruit. And we see a return to face to face fellowship with God for the curse has been removed and eternal life has been granted. But this is only possible because Jesus died. Because he bore the curse for us in order that we might live. Let us trust in this Savior and in the gift Of his death. For it is only through him that you will truly find life. Let us pray. Father, we truly, truly thank you for your son, that he became a man, that he was willing to die for us, that through him and through his death, the curse has been removed. And we can now have eternal life. Help us to believe this message. May your Holy Spirit move within us that we might repent from our unbelief and trust in your Son. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen.